0: Hey, what's going on everybody? B Day back for another podcast episode. Um so I want to inform you guys now that the back half of this, when we get into Adams uh storylines, that was recorded Saturday, um, like midday around twelve, twelve thirty ish. So if some of that information is a little outdated, uh that's the reason why. Like a few teams had only played one game, they've played another game since then. Um, But I wanted to release this Monday, you know, just so it didn't get lost in the shuffle of the football games, being out and things like that. Um, But yeah, man, this podcast is going to, uh, in the first segment, talk about the first five to 10 minutes is going to be about the NBA 75 list, uh, where they compiled 75, the 75 best players uh, in history. And I basically just talk about the two biggest snubs. Um, One in particular, the other I made a claim for. And then um, after that, we get right into Adam's storylines, where we mention some of the things he's looking forward to going forward, including the second year players most likely to take a leap. Um, We touched on the Ben Simmons thing. We touch on the Pelicans a little bit. Um, So it's a jam-packed episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. And without any further ado, let's get right into it. What's going on, everybody? We're talking NBA 75 list. And um, to steal a page out of my boy, Darian, Mouth of the South, Gray's podcast, we're going to do a quote of the day for this, right? So the quote of the day I saw today came from Twitter. Twitter. Because apparently, that's our generation's new news outlet. Um, and basically, it went along the lines of saying, don't let your emotions make decisions for you. All right? Don't let your emotions make decisions that should be based on logic. And essentially, to me, that's how I feel about this uh, 75 list when I think of the snubs. Um It was a great list compiled of the 75 greatest players um, uh, judged by, I believe it was 32 people who had a a casting vote. It was either 32 or 36 or something like that. Um, And they did this for the 75th anniversary of the NBA this year. Um, It's diamond season. So all of the people that were on the uh, 50 top players uh, in the 50th anniversary made it Uh, So there were basically just 25 new additions. There was nobody left off from that list. Um, Some notable names, some of the current guys, LeBron, KD, Steph, uh, James Harden made it. Uh, Damian Lillard and Anthony Davis made it. And for me, when I'm looking at the snubs, especially one in particular, Dwight Howard, I refer back to that quote where it's, don't let your emotion make a decision that should be based in logic, All right? Dwight Howard has been a very polarizing athlete, especially um, over the latter half of his career, basically starting from um the last year he was in Orlando and that whole debacle about wanting to leave, but opting into his contract and then just doing a lot of weird things. Uh, after that, you know, both on and off the court, I don't want to speak to the off the court stuff, but on the court, just he's been a little bit of a knucklehead at times. You know, he had the, the wild carousel run after Houston, where he went to, I believe it was Washington. Then he went to Atlanta. Then he ended up on Charlotte. Then he was on the Lakers for a year, won a ring with us. Then he went to Philly last season. And now he's back in LA um, to try and win another championship. But those years in particular, it was just constant up, oh, Dwight got ejected from this game. Oh, Dwight got another technical. Up oh, Dwight just pushed someone and got a flagrant one, like, for no reason at all. Oh, Dwight just took a hard foul and everyone's pissed off at him because the team was up to and, and why are you taking that foul? It was a lot of questioning, you know, and, and most of it was deserved to be fair. Um, Dwight didn't cover himself in glory in, in some of those instances. But that's all stuff that's based on emotion, in my opinion. Like, people seem to not like him for those type of reasons. Um, But if we're talking about a top 75 list, to me, that should be based on logic. It should be based on merit. It should be based on what have you achieved. And when I look at him compared to Damian Lillard, who, you know, when we make these snub lists, people just make the snub list. I like to take off someone who I think uh, needs to go off to put my snub on, you know, that's how it should work in my opinion. So I'm looking here at the resumes and you tell me which one is better. Dwight Howard. Uh, he finished top five in MVP voting four times. He's won the defensive player of the year award three times, Eight time all NBA, eight time all-star. He's a champion with the Lakers in 2020. He also took a team as Their best player in 2009 passed the MVP-led Cleveland Cavalier LeBron LeBron James team. Uh, He took them past the Big Three Boston Celtic team that year. And I know KG was hurt, but that team was still better than the Magic's roster, if you ask me. And he got them to a finals where they lost in six games to Kobe Bryant, who was a man locked in on a mission that year, you know? Um, that's more that sentence that last part of taking his team as the best player to the finals is more to me than Dame has done and I love Damian Lillard this is not an anti-Dame segment or anything this is just what have you done in your careers to get on this 75 list and I believe Dwight's done more you compare that to Dame's resume six-time All-NBA very impressive considering he's only been in the league for nine seasons uh, he won Rookie of the Year in his uh, rookie year, 2012-13. Um, Five-time, or I believe six-time All-Star, I'm sorry. He's had some of the clutchest shots in playoff history in terms of two game-winning uh, s- series-ending shots. It's one thing to hit a game-winner in the playoff. It's another for your game-winner to end a series. He's done it twice, um, once against a Dwight Howard team in Houston, 2014 the other time was game five over Paul George um, against OKC. So while Dame's resume is hella impressive, especially for him being as young as he is in the game, only nine years in, this is not a list that should be projecting out into the future. It should be a list that admires what you've already accomplished. If we're talking about who do I think is going to be a top serving five player, do I think Dame will have a better legacy than Dwight? That's another argument. But that was not the criteria from what I understand on how they should have voted. So to me, Dwight is just the absolute biggest snub. Like I said, he's taken his team to the finals as the best player. The farthest Dame has gone with his Portland team is a conference finals where they got swept. Um, and... Ironically, in that series, it was 2019 in the conference finals where they got swept by the Warriors. Uh, KD wasn't playing, so you can't say they were just overpowered like, you know, like the 2018 or 2017 version of them. Um, They still had Steph Clay Draymond, of course. But if I remember correctly, Portland had the lead in the fourth quarter of, I think, three of those four games, maybe all four of them. Um, and, and, And you couldn't find a way to win one. You know that that has to fall on the best player somewhat. I'm sorry. You know, um, and then the other snub I had here was Clay Thompson. Um, speaking of those Warrior teams, he was a very integral part of them winning three championships, especially the first one, being the second best player, and, um, and then the third best player in the second and third ones. Clay Thompson, three-time NBA champ, two-time All NBA. Uh, first team all defense one year and like I said it was just a career his career is defined on being the perfect backcourt mate to Stephen Curry he is defined on being the guy who would take Stephen Curry's matchups and defend the other team's best guard you know uh, career averages 20 points a game pretty much four rebounds a game um And when you think of the Warriors and when you think of basketball history, there's going to be a chapter that's written with the Splash Brothers. Like, obviously, Steph's going to get a lot of those plaudits and rightfully so. But you can't mention one without talking about Clay, at least a little bit. Um, And the guy I would take off for him. And and this is going to be controversial because people love him and I love Reggie Miller. But I think it's got to be Reggie Miller who has to go. You know, career averages as the best player on those Pacer teams, 18 points a game, uh, three rebounds, three assists. Now, Reggie did play 18 seasons. The longevity means something. It should count for something. Um, He is higher up on the all-time three-point list than Clay at the moment. Uh, He was a five-time All-Star, made three All-NBA teams. So that's a little bit more impressive in terms of the All-NBAs. but I just think success also matters, you know, and could could you say, well, Clay is playing with the greatest shooting uh, player ever uh, in a in a style in an era that suits him the best. Sure, you could say that. What I would also say, though, is Clay. Made a little bit more of an impact when it came to winning big, big games, if you remember game six, OKC 2016. They don't get to the finals if Klay Thompson doesn't go berserk in OKC that that, that night. Um, you had the 60 and 11 dribbles in the regular season. You know, you have uh, game six against Toronto. Even though they lost that game, he was a man possessed before he tore his ACL. And they probably would have won that game had he stayed healthy for it. Um, Game six against Houston where they're down three two. Clay Thompson is the best player on the court on a court that included James Harden, Stephen Curry, and Kevin Durant. You know? So like these little like moments to me in high leverage moments, that's one thing I could count on Clay for. He never really showed up missing, uh, in terms of winning the big one. So I think that has to be factored in, man. That his his stats are gonna look better. His stats look better at the moment in terms of averages. And I just think while Reggie Miller is a big part of basketball history, I think that Clay Thompson is probably a more successful version of Reggie Miller. So I would edge Clay over Reggie. And then the last name that was on my list was Dikembe. I just don't think you can tell the story of basketball without Dikembe Mutombo in the sense of the finger wag, in the sense of the guy who came over was a great shot blocker, would challenge your, your favorite dunkers. And, you know, he would get put in the rim sometimes, as all great shot blockers do. But he kind of brought that, that I'm going up every time. I'm not going to be get fear. Uh, I'm not going to have any fear of going up with the guy who's trying to kill me in the air. You know, I'm going to challenge every shot. I'm going to block a lot of them. I'm going to be a great rebounder. And I'm just going to be a focal point of a defense. You know, um, Dikembe is a big part of that for me um, in that sense, man. So those are my three three names, uh, primarily the two. And if we're being honest, it's really Dwight, who I had the biggest issue with not being on this list. His resume speaks louder than any, any, any um, other snub. And like I said in the quote, man, it just feels like, A lot of people who don't like Dwight didn't vote for Dwight rather than looking at it with the name covered, seeing the resume and saying, how do we leave this guy out? That's my little rant on the 75 list. Let me know what you guys think. And uh, we're going to go ahead and switch it to the next segment. all right guys and now we are back joined by fan favorite of the pod. I've been getting a lot of comments in my DMs about where's Adam at? Where where's Adam been uh when I was doing my previews and things. So he's back by popular demand and um since you guys want him back so much, we are going to let Adam take point in this one. Uh this part of the episode is going to be Adam's biggest storylines that uh he's either seen play out in the first couple games or is interested to see going forward. Uh, for this season uh, through a couple games. So, Adam, without any further ado, man, the floor is yours. So, um, to talk most in interesting storylines around the NBA right
1: now, this conversation only has one place to start, and that is very obviously in Philadelphia with Ben Simmons and his relationship with the Philadelphia 76ers. So, I'm sure everybody already is familiar with what's happening over there, but I'm going to just run through a timeline real quick just to make sure everybody's up to date. Mm-hmm. Uh this starts back at the beginning of last season. The Sixers offer Ben Simmons for James Harden in the very early days of the season. James Harden's still a rocket at the time. That doesn't work out. Sixers have a great regular season. They finish first in the East. Ben makes an all-star team, kind of contends for defensive player of the year. Uh then comes the Hawks series. This is, I believe, the second round of the playoffs. Yeah. Um It goes seven games in five of those seven games. Ben Simmons does not take a shot in the fourth quarter, all culminating into the infamous game seven meltdown when he passes up the wide open dunk underneath the goal late in the fourth quarter. They lose the game after the game. Doc says he doesn't know how to answer that right now when asked if Ben can be a point guard on a championship team. Embiid publicly calls, passing up the dunk, the turning point in the game. Fast forward a little bit, Philadelphia is actively shopping him ahead of the draft this year. Then Ben formally requests a trade. He threatens to hold out and not show up for training camp. He follows through on those threats. 76's training camp starts, Ben Simmons is not there. October 1st, so this is about three weeks ago, $8.2 million that is owed to Ben Simmons is withheld and placed into an escrow account where it will lose money consistently as Ben continues to miss training camp practices, games, etc. 10 days after that on October 11th, Ben just shows up in Philadelphia at the arena unannounced. Um, he gets a COVID test. He's back with the organization out of the blue. One week following that, This is just a few days ago now. Video comes out from 76ers practice. Ben Simmons' phone is in his sweatpants. He's not wearing the practice jersey that everybody else is wearing. He's visibly disinterested in all the drills. It's all over Twitter. People blah, blah, blah talking about it. following day, Doc throws him out of practice for essentially refusing to participate. He gets suspended as a result. The following day, he skips workouts due to reported back soreness, but he is cleared by the organization, by the medical staff to participate following his back soreness. I'm doing air quotes around that. Um, and then yesterday morning, that'd be October 22nd, he meets with Sixers brass and tells them he is not mentally ready to play to his expectations, whatever that means. And that kind of takes us to where we are today. So... Brandon, how are you feeling about this situation and where it's,
0: where it's headed going forward? Ooh, man. So uh, I guess as a general statement for me, I am typically very pro player um, when it comes to sports in general. I think uh, you know, players ultimately is what we're here to watch. They're ultimately the reason people fall in love with the game, not because of the owners or the GMs or anything like that. Uh, so I just want to get that out as a blanket statement. But what I will say is every case is different. And this case to me feels very uh, soap opera, feels very diva in Ben Simmons' point of view. Um, So if we just take it back to the reason all of this started in the first place, which you brought up, the Hawks series, five games where you don't even shoot in the fourth quarter, that's not even talking about a jumper. You didn't even attempt a layup. You didn't even attempt to try and go get fouled. you shot the worst percentage from the free throw line in NBA history in a seven-game series. Uh, I believe it was mid-30s. I don't have the exact number, but that's 30, the reason. Know, 32%. Yeah, that that's the reason all of this started in the first place, right, was the fact that you underperformed against, let's be honest, I love the Atlanta Hawks. I'm very high on them this year. Last year, that was a team that should not have beaten the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, they were down DeAndre Hunter at that time, the guy who probably was best equipped to guard Ben Simmons. Um, Bogdanovich had got hurt earlier in that season uh, series and like, wasn't hundred percent. Like there's no way you should lose with home court advantage, all the things that worked in Philly's favor. Um, if your second best player just plays 70% of how good he can be 60%, like he was so bad that, you um, that it was just un, unsavable, I guess. And so, so knowing that context of it, all this dilemma started by him not playing good. I don't have a lot of sympathy for him in the situation. You know, uh, we fast forward to the uh, to Philly shopping him uh, right before the draft. Look, you're a professional athlete, man. Teams are shopping everybody. I'm, I'm sorry to say that, Ben Simmons. I'm, I'm sorry if that was a surprise to you. It's just part of the business. It's just part of the business. Unless you are like a top five, top six, top seven player in this league, which you are not, you're going to get shopped around. Your GM is going to field calls about anyone in the sense of trying to make his team better. That's his job. Um, Daryl Morey is one of the more aggressive people at that specific thing. So when you throw all that into the context, like I say, it's it's hard to feel any sympathy for a guy who – Underachieved by his own doing, right? It's not like they had, like I said, DeAndre Hunter, who's a really good defender, who was making life tough on him. It's not like you didn't have a mismatch hunt at every possible turn and Trey Young on the other side. Like if you're really struggling, run a pick and roll, have Trey Young switch on you, and your game isn't breaking people off the dribble. That's fine. Turn your back to him, and shoot a seven foot, eight foot jump jump hook, little floater shot. Um, he was unable to do or unwilling to do any of those things. And for that reason, Adam, it's, it's just hard to feel anything other than, like, I, I kind of don't care about what side he's coming from um, in all of this when the reason all of this has started was because of your lack of play. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It, it all falls back to his own, you know, meltdown really is the best word, his own meltdown against the Hawks. Um, and Philly is not the place to be doing those kind of things. Oh. Those Philly fans are savage, they're brutal, uh, and Benjamin does not seem like the, the type of person who's going to handle that kind of criticism well, and he had it, and that has played in to, to the way all of this has unfolded. Um, an interesting quote this morning, Jason Kelsey, the center for the Philadelphia Eagles, weighed in on the situation because apparently that's where this is at and he said (laughs) just play better and philly will love you just play better i mean when you're passing up that dunk underneath the goal in the fourth quarter for like no apparent reason my mom could have laid the ball up before (laughs) nba defenders could have recovered he was so wide open and he just did it he passed it up it's it's not
0: looking good um where do you think this goes forward um Man, I think you have two very, very prideful parties involved here. And neither of those are Ben Simmons, in my opinion. I think prideful party number one, Daryl Morey. You have a guy who has been on the record saying, I need two superstars or I need two stars in order to win. You know, you look at his, his uh, track record in Houston when he had James Harden and found out that he could be a star. He goes out and acquires Dwight Howard. That doesn't work. Fine, we'll go out and acquire Chris Paul. Oh, James Harden, you don't like Chris Paul? Let's go out and acquire um, Russell Westbrook. You know, his his whole mantra is two stars. And he gave it a year, to his credit, with uh, Ben Simmons. Uh, He tried to acquire James Harden earlier in the season. Um, So you have a guy who's always trying to look to improve, as I say, and is not going to pull any punches about people's feelings or anything like that. He's a man of numbers and a man of results. Uh, And then the second party uh, that's very prideful in this situation is Clutch Sports, the agency that represents Ben Simmons. Uh, Spearheaded by Rich Paul, who we can just both admit for the record, like has handled this terribly. He's handled this terribly. He's he's cost Ben Simmons a lot of money telling him to uh, hold out from the team and mispractices. Um, And then now it seems like in the recent news, you brought up him coming back to practice and kind of sulking and not being really involved. It seems like that wasn't Ben Simmons who, who just came in there with that sort of mindset. It feels like he's been told that. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I can kind of put two and two together and see um, the way they handled the AD situation where they were just kind of like, Hey, just go in there. Don't give it your all. And that'll get you out of there it seems like history repeating itself with Ben Simmons to where he's been told go in there and be so bad and so disruptive that they feel like they have no choice, but to get rid of you, which is ultimately what we want. It'll be what they want because they can get someone else in. Adam, I think going forward, man, this could get really ugly. And I think the two, the two egos clashing, like neither of those guys want to give an inch. And I think specifically with Maury, with the, the leverage he has of having Ben Simmons under four years of contract, he obviously has the upper hand to say, well, that's fine. We just, we'll just hold on to you until we find something that we feel is worth it um, where that gets tricky. And the question I want to pose back to you is just, can you do that when you have Joel Embiid, who's the top 10 player in this league in his prime of primes and a guy who has shown that, you know, Health has been a concern. So, like, you've got to try and capitalize on these years. Yeah, that's where it gets tough. I mean, you'd certainly
1: like to think you can just work things out and get them back on the floor, yeah. but I'm I'm finding it hard to see a, a scenario where that plays out at this point. Things have just gone so sour, so, so far south that I don't think that that's legitimately going to work. So, you have to be shopping him, and it's tough because... Their window is now, like you said, you have Joel Embiid, you have a top five, top 10 player in the NBA who you can potentially win a championship with as your centerpiece. And you need that supporting cast around him and your second best player is refusing to play and doing everything in his power to drive down his trade value. It's it's tough. Maury is in a tough spot. What do you do? Do you go ahead and deal him to you know, let Masai Uhiri in, in Toronto pick him up for like two second round picks and Goran Dragic or something? Or do you try to wait this out and risk running the course and, and blowing the championship window? I don't know. I don't know what to do. It's
0: tough. It's just tough. Yeah, it, it's, it is tough because you do have to set the precedent that we're not going to be the organization that just allows players to come in here and roll over us and Demand out with four years left on their deal because that, you know, that could set off a real slippery slope going forward for the league. Um, So, credit to Philly's front office for that part of it. But then, like you said, at the same time, man, like it's Joel Embiid. You don't have a lot of, of, you're not guaranteed a lot of peak years left given his health issues um, uh, in his playing career. So, I don't know, man. I don't know where this goes. I just, I find it so funny how like this guy Ben Simmons was talked about as being a trade piece for a James Harden trade or a trade piece for another star whoever you want to include and now we're like are the Blazers going to give up CJ McCollum for him straight up like does Philly right. really have to throw in a pick like it just it's crazy man it really is it is crazy and It's not as surprising as I think it might
1: seem if anybody followed the Ben Simmons at LSU saga, it played out almost the same way, just with the caveat of he had the power to just be like, no, I'm done. I'm leaving without Mm. any save from, from the team there. That's a good point. uh, Moving on next, since this is my most interesting storylines and I am a Pelicans fan of course, the new look Pelicans are among my most interesting storylines, if that's what you want to call it. Um, They're very different from last year. On on opening night, Brandon Ingram was the only starter on the floor who started for us last year. Um, I think Josh Hart might've started the game or two somewhere last year and and did start in game one, but very revamped team. Zion's still out with a broken foot, new head coach, uh, fired Stan Van Gundy, hired Willie Green, hopefully revamped things there. Um, our biggest issues coming back from last year were defending the three-point line, where we were just horrendous. Just horrendous. We were the fifth worst team in the NBA defending the three-point line last year. So far, early returns that um, seems like it's continuing to be be the case. Uh, in our two games so far, Philly shot 13 of 25 from three. That is 52%. And the Bulls shot 14 of 28 from three. That is We got blown out in both of these games. Um, And it's very discouraging. It's very discouraging to me to watch that we're still not defending the three-point line. We're still not getting back in transition and playing defense that way. And the supposed bright spot to look forward to is that Zion's not coming back. But the reason it's so discouraging to see these same issues persisting is those are not things that Zion is going to make better. He is not going to help us defend the three-point line. He is not going to help us get back and play transition defense. That's not what he does. So it looks like it's a a long season ahead for for the Pelicans.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, To touch on a couple points, um, first two games this season um, against Philly and against Chicago, two teams who probably should make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. So if we're going to look at any sort of like silver lining, it's like, okay, you play teams that you probably wouldn't project to beat. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's a little bit more than just losing. It's the, it's the manner in which you lose. And um, I, I'm looking here, fourth worst net rating to start the season minus 17.8. Um, and, and and it just feels like, man, there, there's, there's, there's something there with Brandon Ingram in high ball screen like that just seems to be a very safe uh high efficiency type of play uh, for you guys and the good moments you guys have had I've seen really good moments like Devontae Graham played very well last night I thought um he's looked good the first two games to be honest yeah yeah um, Nikhil Alexander Walker's shown, shown some flashes as well um and you know There is, like you mentioned, a big chunk of this is Zion Williamson is not not playing yet. Um, So I guess in terms of helping the defense, part of that uh, part of Zion coming back, I think actually does help the defense, but not in terms of him defending. But in terms of the other team having to take the ball out of the net or the other team having to, you know, when he shoots free throws or punishes people inside. Um, So. There, there might be less transition opportunities for the other team because you're scoring a little bit more, scoring a little bit more efficiently with Zion. Um, so I actually think he does help defense, but just not in the way that, you know, that that we're thinking of, of like actually being a lockdown defender. Um, kind of an indirect. Kind, kind of, of, of an indirect thing. I, I think the biggest thing for me as I'm looking here is the team feels a little bit too dependent on guys who are in their either second third, fourth, or rookie years, you know, I'm looking at, I, I wrote down five names here, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kira Lewis, Najee Marshall, uh, Trey Murphy the third, and then Jackson Hayes. Out of those five guys, I feel like for this team to be good or just like, you know, playing type of team, I think two and probably three of those guys need to hit this season. Um, Absolutely. It feels like Nikhil Alexander-Walker is probably the most nailed on Uh, out of those five. And I really like Kira Kira Lewis as well. Um, But I think if we can get that third guy to just be a consistent player and a consistent rotation guy to where he's not taking anything off the table, I actually think like it it looks up for the Pelicans this year, despite how bad the start has been, despite how bad, you know, the turnovers and defense um, defending turnovers have been. Um, It's not rock bottom quite yet in terms of considering the biggest... Thing, your best players hurt and then these guys are young and it takes young players a little longer to find their legs
1: yeah absolutely Th- things have looked great so far for Nikhil alexander walker um, especially the first game he-, he played very well we're hoping uh uh trey murphy the the rookie ends up being a, a real contributor for us he's a long guy should play some-, some decent defense on the wing um fantastic catch and shoot like dropping bombs from deep which is really what we needed uh, offensively where our change needed to be compared to last year. And, and that's a lot of what we did in trying to revamp the roster and trying to get Devontae Graham in drafting this young man was trying to, you know, shoot threes better, space the floor better, get Zion more space to operate in. And so far, that is the one thing that have gone well. Yeah. We have shot the three ball a lot better than we did last year. Last year, we made 10.6 threes a game on 34.8%. Those are both bottom five in the league last year. So far, it's only been two games, very small sample size. We're hitting 14 a game on 47.5%. That's going to open the floor up and allow Zion to work and allow his 300-plus potato-shaped body (laughs) more room to operate in. So that is a, a positive. Hopefully that man gets that weight down we'll see as, as things go, we're still, I think, uh, probably three to four weeks out from him actually playing and who knows what kind of shape we'll be in when he gets here.
0: Man. I, I just, oh, it, it's tough, man, because, you know, the beginning of the season, every fan base ha- is the most optimistic they'll ever be before a game is played. And for two games for you, like for it to be so alarmingly similar to last season in terms of uh, the defense, when we're talking about three-point percentage given up, um, it is al- alarming. You know, when you bring in a new coaching staff who obviously knows some of the Pelicans' issues from last year, and there hasn't been any tangible sort of change yet, it's a al- it's alarming. You know, um, there there was just the first game uh, against Philly. There was there was a few moments where the game was very competitive in the first half. Back the game was competitive
1: until. until about nine minutes left in the fourth quarter when Corkmoss just like exploded all
0: over everything. Yeah, Moss ended up with 22 in the game. I think 16 in the second half. What's um, before from downtown? Gave up a 28 to seven run in the fourth, and to me, like I watch, I end up rewatching that game in its entirety. Um, there was a, a, a energy and an optimism and a, a fight to the te- team in the first three quarters, first two and a half quarters. And then it just seemed like they kind of hit a wall. And I don't know if that was from shots not going in uh, and, and you could kind of feel the lead building and Korkmaz hitting some shots that were, were well guarded. He was just hot. Um, but there seemed to be a little bit of like lack of fighting through screens as much there was a little lack of crashing the defensive board like they were in the first half. Um, They started fouling a bit more, but I don't know, man. I think, like I said, part of that goes to the team's very young. It's very reliant on those young players, um, you know, which I think in some sort of sense, it'll, it'll come back to a mean of like these guys will find themselves. These guys will understand Willie Green's system a little better uh, as you know, as you get more reps but it doesn't look good right now, man. I, I can't lie. It doesn't look good because the problems seem to be the same that they were Understand?
1: Yeah. So like with the Philly game, something I've noticed very quickly is that when things start getting bad, the Pelicans don't have a plan on how to stop the bleeding. Mm. And things go from bad to worse very, very quickly. And that's what happened in that fourth quarter against Philly. Cork hit a couple threes in a row and it was just like all the wheels fell off the train and, and it just ran away with it. The same thing happened against Chicago. It just happened a lot earlier. That we nice. scored 20 points in the last nine minutes of the second quarter. From from nine minutes left in the second quarter, the man had not scored a point, and then he had 20 going into halftime. And it was just the game was over at that point. Once he got rolling, we had no way to stop that bleeding. And I think some of that does come. From being so young, these young guys, I don't know if it's during the headlights or what, but once that momentum starts rolling, they're panicking and they they can't get things uh, headed back in the
0: right direction. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people will bring up the, um, the Lonzo thing. You end up having a, a very good game against you guys. Yeah, the uh, The triple-double, no turnovers in 35 minutes. Um, but, you know, and I, obviously I love Lonzo as a player. I will say, though, I don't think it is just a wash away sign and trade like, you know, how the media will perceive it. Because, like I said, Graham has played well and so has Nikhil Alexander Walker. And if Lonzo's there, uh, Devontae probably isn't. And then Nikhil Alexander Walker gets a lot less minutes. So, in the just guard for guard sense, in terms of production, it's not a negative to lose Lonzo. I think you just lose all the intangible things that that Devontae Graham doesn't kind of get on defense. You lose some of the physical battles that Lonzo could win being six foot six. And then I think where you'll see it most is when Zion does come back and you miss those four to six, six to eight points a game Lonzo could just create for him. Kind of how Rondo does for AD where they just have this chemistry. They look at each other. Zion spins off his defender, gets a lob or Lonzo kicks it up to him in transition free throws because nobody can handle that guy going downhill. Um, So I don't think we've kind of seen the full impact of him being gone yet, but I would also say that it hasn't been as bad as, you know, it might show based off of how good he played last night.
1: Yeah. And I'm interested to see how much Devontae Graham can fill that same role of that Lonzo Zion connection. I mean, Graham averaged over seven assists a game at one point in Charlotte on pretty decent assist to turnover numbers as well. The guy can pass the ball fairly well. He can read a defense. He's made some real nice plays, throwing lobs to uh, Bridges, Miles Bridges? Miles Bridges. One in in Charlotte, yeah, making sure I'm not getting that backwards. Um, Yeah, Grimms made some real nice plays throwing lobs to him, and he's not quite the lob target Zion is. Now he's pretty bouncy and throws down some some nice jams at times, but um, it's encouraging to see Graham and Bridges doing that in the past, and thinking that maybe once Zion comes back, they can get kind of that same thing rolling here in New Orleans, and maybe pick up for some of what we lost in in that regard with Lando.
0: As much as I hate that
1: man, I will say some of the those lobs he threw to Zion, some of that little connection that they had was nice at times, and it's it's certainly something we're going to try to replicate. Yeah. Um. So moving on, final storyline to follow throughout this entire season, and I think this is going to be a pretty interesting one. It's going to be. And, fun. um seeing the the second-year players make a leap, specifically those top two guys, LaMelo, Anthony Edwards. uh, They were neck and neck for Rookie of the Year last year. Everybody thought LaMelo was, you know, probably a little better but didn't play quite as much, had the injuries and stuff. Um, And they're both looking to make a jump and and move forward. LaMelo last season was 15.7 points a game, 5.9 rebounds a game, 6.1 assists per game. 43.6% 43.6% from the floor, 35% from deep. Um, we're looking to see him shoot the three ball a little bit better this year, do a little bit better of a job creating in the half court. And so far, he's off to a good start in that regard. He had the huge games, 31, 9, and 7 against Indiana, huge comeback victory to start the season. 7 and 9 from three, very encouraging for LaMelo getting into passing lanes racking up steals getting down the court manipulating the defense in the half court found some nice little lanes to slit him to the rim very good game very encouraging stuff out of LaMelo Brandon how much of a jump do you think he's going to make this year
0: man I think he's going to take a very big leap I think like you mentioned second year um, guys when you look throughout history and you see guys who are like superstars in this league second year and a lot of times the third year but second year is where you see the game slow down from and I watched a lot of the Indiana game um, where he had his his really good stat line it seems like he's made a concerted effort in the offseason to shoot more threes Uh, he's up to six attempts uh, a game you know it's only two games but he shot 12 uh, threes in two games this year And last year that was down around three and a half. I don't know if it was a lack of confidence in his jumper or a lack of like, Hey, I'm really a traditional point guard. Let me get all these other guys involved. Um, But he has definitely made a more concerted effort to score the ball this season, uh, averaging 24, six and six and a half uh, in the two games so far. He's actually weirdly playing better defense than I ever could have projected for LaMelo ball. Um, But, yeah, man, I think all of that just kind of comes down to the game slowing down for him. He doesn't ever seem rushed like he did last year when he would have his down moments, Um, at least not yet. Hasn't played the best sort of opposition, so it's kind of hard to tell. You know, the Pacers were missing uh, Levert and T.J. Warren, and the Hornets eked that one out by one. And then they played the Cavs last night. Not a very good team. Um, And small guards. Uh, which gives Lamello, you know, the ability to just shoot over those guys. But I, I think the leap is coming, man. I think the game slowed down for him. I think he's a little bit more tentative on defense. While he might not have the foot speed to stick with some of the quicker guys, he, he knows angles. He knows positioning. It's kind of like Luca, where Luca's not a bad defender as long as he's engaged. He can just be in the right spots and use his length. Um so yeah, man, I do I do see a, a leap growing and I think this guy is going to be a superstar in this league in the next three years. Yeah,
1: on the defensive point, he showed some real, real nice anticipation, just knowing where the ball was about to go and getting in the passing lanes, breaking things up, deflections, things along that, uh, along those lines. It looks good. I, I'm right there with you. I think Lamelo's gonna make an all star team this year and, and it's just gonna be a, a meteoric rise from there. Quite the upward trajectory for this young kid. Um He'll be back in action next uh, tomorrow, which would be Sunday. It's Saturday morning as we're recording this. Uh, Tomorrow at 3 o'clock Central Time, he's playing at Brooklyn. Everybody should tune in and see what LaMelo's up to. The other big rookie to be following throughout this season is going to be last year's number one overall pick, Anthony Edwards. Plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves. 19.3 points, 4.7 rebounds, 2.9 assists per game last year. 41% from the floor. Uh, just a shade under 33% from deep. He's only played one game so far. They blew out the god-awful Houston Rockets. <laughs> Put up uh, 29.6 rebounds and three assists on 10-21 shootings, 6-12 from deep. Um, I liked what I saw from Anthony Edwards in that game. Now, it is the Houston Rockets, so you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. They're basically a G League team. But I saw some nice things out of him. I liked the way he was being more attacking, looking to unleash his athleticism in transition, get to the rim, throw down a couple dunks, attack people at the basket. And we saw him in the half court kind of understanding space better as he was Mm -hmm. floating around the three-point line, off the ball, finding little pockets of space to catch the ball and just launch one wide open, catch and shoot threes, and he was knocking them down. It looked good. Um, Now, he did only drop three assists to his four turnovers, which is – Still, compared to last year, probably the, the biggest area for improvement he needs is in his playmaking.
0: Brandon, what's you thinking on Anthony Edwards? Let's start with the last point, because I think that's ultimately what's going to keep him from being on that LaMelo tier. If I had to project him going forward, he's going to put up more numbers in terms of scoring the ball because he he's, he was blessed with the ability to score the ball at any level, you know. Uh, The three-pointer, like you mentioned, was falling in the first game. He was 6 of 12. Um, And just his physical gifts allow him to get downhill in a way that it's tougher for LaMelo to do. Um, But, yes, the playmaking, I think, ultimately, um, with the Timberwolves projecting forward, I think he has ascended enough, Edwards, to show that it's no longer a Towns plus Russell plus Edwards kind of outlook towards the future it's Towns and Edwards and if Russell fits he fits if he doesn't we can move off of him I think he's improved and uh, shown that amount of ability to where they can feel that way Um, but if that is the case then I would like to see the playmaking chops become a little bit more uh, more refined obviously it's one game but yeah four turnovers three assists against the Rockets who probably aren't Forcing you to make the toughest decisions—that—that—that kind of is a little red flag there. Um, in terms of what you mentioned about him understanding space better, I agree hundred percent. I think a full year, a full training camp under Chris Finch, who, you know, however you feel about him as a coach, you can say he's a massive, massive upgrade from Ryan Saunders, uh, who they had the previous year, and he just got him kind of playing the right way. You know, uh, when Cat gets it in the post, he understands. If I'm opposite side wing, there's a lane there to cut. And I if I get the ball on the cut, it's going to be hard to stop me. I'm 6'6", six, six, 230, whatever he is. Um, and I think, I think like you said, man, he's just understanding the cutting angles a little better. He's understanding spacing a little better. Um, but, yeah, man, for me, the biggest thing for him is, A, um, leaning in and embracing the playmaking duties a little bit more, especially when Edward or when Russell goes to the bench. And then I think for two is he has to get out of that when in doubt, shoot it mode. Um, you know, he, like I mentioned, he jacked up 12 threes, which is good. Cause he had it rolling. Um, I believe he shots 21 shots that game. Mm, Ten um, for twenty 10 for 21. And it's like, that's cool when it's going, but I know in my rewatch, I would say out of those 21 shots, I would say 13 were probably well contested. Um, And then out of those 13 that were well contested, four of those were like, you know, late clock, got to kind of get it up. So I'm not going to hold those against him. But I think he does still kind of get in that mode of when in doubt, I'm more talented than the guy across from me. I'm just going to shoot it. And if he can buy into a little bit more of a, there's four sets of eyes on me. There's probably somebody who's open. Um, and kind of leaning to that side of his game, I think that's where you can see um, him and LaMelo's trajectory rival each other rather than where I think it is, where it's LaMelo here um, and and Edwards probably a half step down in terms of how I see them going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's decision-making, right, is really what it comes down to, whether yeah. it's decision-making in terms of making the right reads on a pick-and-roll, when to pass it, when to kick it out to the, the corner, whether it's uh, shot selection – it's just putting it all together and making the right plays at the right time. He is a phenomenal athlete. This man's physical profile is just off the charts for what you want to be a basketball player. He has all the skill, all the talent you could ever ask for. He just just got to put it all together and start making the, the right decisions, you know, every time down the court. And that's what it'll take for him to start
0: catching up to LaMelo in, in that kind of tier list. Like you said, I got two more names for you in terms of the second year guys who I'm looking for this year. Um, so we mentioned the top two picks. I'm gonna go a little bit lower in that first round uh, for my next guys, Tyrese Maxey. Now we touched on Ben at the beginning in terms of the, the drama that's going on there. Um, whether Ben Simmons comes back or not, Tyrese Maxey's gonna have to take another step if Philly wants to be what they think they can be. Uh, so far in the two games that they played that he started, um, 17 and a half points, four and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, and uh, shooting 38% from three. So with Maxi, this is a guy who in high school, you know, he, he's from our area, the DFW area. Um, he showed a lot of like on ball creation. Now, I don't think Philly needs as much of that as, you know, he obviously showed in high school and at Kentucky. I think they need more of the when Joel gets double-teamed, can you hit a spot, spot up wide open three? And as we learned in the playoffs last year, they're not helping off the of Seth Curry, and they're not leaving Danny Green despite how many times he airballs a big shot. Um, so that leaves Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey. And if Tyrese Maxey is going to be on that floor over a guy who plays a little bit more defensive like a Matisse Thybul that's gonna be the thing that separates them. I I like that he's shooting a lot of them. He's at four attempts a game this year um, due to two games. And I think, man, for for Philly to be what, I was so high on them uh, last year, the reason I think they could be that again, if everything goes right, would have to be due to his improvement as a standstill knockdown shooter. Because I think you and I both agree, we've seen enough flashes of the on-ball creation in this league to sustain. Now we need to see, can you hit the spot-ups with three seconds left on the shot clock after Joel gets doubled?
1: Yeah, and, and those are gonna be open, easy, good looks for him that he's gonna have to knock down because indeed does, you know, just attract so much attention onto himself. Uh, Maxi's looked good so far. He's stepped into that starting point guard role mm-hmm. in the absence of the aforementioned Ben Simmons. Um, you mentioned three and a half assists, something I do wanna point out. He's played two games now at 35 minutes a game, 70 minutes in total, and has one measly turnover wow. over the course of those two games. Half a turnover a game to go with his three and a half assists. He's just been steady. He's been a steady, reliable point guard who's done a decent job knocking down open shots. And if he can sustain that going forward, no, he's not going to reach the, the level of heights that the LaMellos and the Anthony Edwards that we talked about earlier might reach. But he does have a crucial role to play on a good team. And that is, that is exciting. And that's good for that young man. And I hope
0: that works out for him. And I hope that works out for Philadelphia. Yeah. And then the last name I had uh, really quickly, the last pick of the first round in last year's draft, Desmond Bain um, out of TCU. First game, they play the Cavs. Again, it's tough to benchmark these guys when they're playing the Cavaliers. But uh, 22 points, three rebounds, three assists. Uh, he started that game. They ended up going with Ja, Bain, Brooks, Jaron Jackson, and, and, uh, Stephen Adams. And I think, man, ultimately, I think that's his, his role is provide floor spacing when John Steven are on the court, you know, two non-shooters, um, last year, he shot, I think 43% from three in his rookie season. 43.2 on four attempts a game. Okay. Yeah. And, um. And this year, man, I think there there seems to be a little bit more of a focused effort from the Grizzlies coaching staff, at least in that first game that I saw, for him to get Ja off the ball a little bit more. You know, uh, his senior year at TCU, he kind of got thrusted into that role of trying to be lead ball handler sometimes and did an okay job at it. It wasn't great or anything. But if he can just provide six to eight possessions of like pick and roll ball handler where Ja can rest in the corner and, and, you know, just kind of preserve some energy. I think that bodes well for the team. He, he's shown the, the ability to knock down threes, as I mentioned. Um, but this year, I think they are trying to get Desmond Bain's usage to go up a little bit and try and be a little bit more of a scorer rather than just a shooter. So with him, um, it's funny with him, I think for the Grizzlies moving forward, they want a little bit of what Maxi showed in his rookie year. And from Philly, they want Maxi to show a little bit more of what Bain showed in his rookie year, which is standstill shooting. So, uh, how do you feel about Desmond Bain? Yeah, another guy like Tyrese Maxi who has the chance to to be a starter
1: and play a prominent role on a decent team. They're certainly looking to to return to the playoffs like they did last year. Um, obviously, everything revolves around Josh in in Memphis right now, and rightfully so. And it's just about putting the right pieces around him. I like Desmond Bain. Like you said, he's a good shooter, which is a good compliment to Ja, who is not quite so much of a shooter from the, uh, you know, from those guard spots. Yeah, help space the floor, help get him off the ball sometimes. Like you said, show a little bit of playmaking chops. You know, he he dished out three assists in that first game, um, three turnovers to go along with it. So I'm gonna have to cut back on that. But yeah, definitely a guy looking to to play a big role this year.
0: Yeah, man, I I think. I think second year is, it's either, you know, we've heard the term sophomore slump. It can either go really badly or it could be the year where you're like, no, I, I belong here in this role that the team has for me in the NBA. Um, and with the first two names we mentioned, LaMelo and Edwards, I think those guys have the, the up, upside of superstar still where I could say no one else in that class probably does anymore. You know, Wiseman has been very unlucky with injuries, but when he was playing, he wasn't really well-equipped for the Warrior system. Um, and then the other guys are just all um, – and I think we said it at the time of the draft as well, we thought that it wasn't a very top-heavy draft, but you would get a lot of good players. And I think Bain and Maxie are probably the, the forefront of those type of guys um, based on what we've seen. uh in the first two years
1: they're they're certainly amongst the guys that are going to play legitimate roles on good teams which is Mm -hmm.
0: always a great place to be as a role player yeah yeah man anything else uh that That is all i have for today good good discussion yes sir yes sir all right well thank you guys for listening if you've made it this far um i'll be putting a little clip of this out um before the podcast episode drops um Be sure to catch us in the next one. We'll have a different topic going on for you guys. Um, But thank you so much. And we'll see you in the next one.